Hello and welcome to The State of Shakespeare. I'm Garrett Vandermeer. And I'm Jim Elliott. And today we're joined by Mike Liu. Hello, Mike. Hi. Hi, Mike. Yeah. It's great to have you here. Mike Liu is a very successful playwright whose plays include a Tiger Style, an audio play, Tiny Father, Bike America, and Microsis, Banging It, the Colonialism Trilogy, and many, many more. His current project, which has been produced at the Woolly Mammoth Theater, Seattle Rep, Donmar Warehouse, my Yee Theater Company, the O'Neill Workshop, and is currently in production at the Pasadena Playhouse is Teenage Dick. And that's what we're here to talk about today. Yeah, Mike, it's great to have you. Full disclosure, I teach a Shakespeare class where we look at Shakespeare reimagined in modern texts. And your Teenage Dick is on the list. Jesse Green, in his brilliant New York Times review about Teenage Dick, wrote, that artists deserve employment, not just because they're talented, but because the canon of classics deserves reimagining to match our world. I think that's a really great idea. And I think, is that one of the sparks of Teenage Dick? Uh, the play started as a commission from my friend, Greg Muscala, who stars in the production. And he started a company called The Apathite that was about illuminating the disabled experience. And so, yes, that was built into the DNA of the play was the overlap of his advocacy around the disabled community and mine around artists of color and areas where we wanted to give more opportunity and expand the canon or, or have more ways to have everybody be able to access the classics. And uh, I think that one of the sort of seed ideas was taking the most famous disabled character of all time and just seeing whether the tropes around disability then fit today and what the traps are today. Richard III is what we're talking about. And Teenage Dick, just for our listeners, is an adaptation of Shakespeare's Richard III. Yeah, um, set in high school. Set in a high school. And I, I love the quote. Uh, we set out to reexamine disability politics from Shakespeare's time to our time through a dark comedy that matches up Shakespeare talk and TikTok, which I find really interesting because I think TikTok and Shakespeare, there's, there's a commonality there, perhaps. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I mean, if anything, uh, I think about uh, when Shakespeare revivals are done, there's always a question of like, why now? Like, how, how is this work speaking to us now? In a way, the high stakes of royal ascendancy don't feel necessarily accessible to our daily lives, but the pecking order in high school is so raw, I think, for people that are experiencing it and even after. And so... I think that there is something elegant about taking these uh, high stakes of who's going to be king and uh, how can I attain power and shoving that into a high school context where it feels as though everything is at that scale and so life or death. So just to create some context, who was Richard III in, in according to Shakespeare's historical conception of him? I mean, we, uh, I think that the text of Richard III feels like it plays out like a morality tale almost and that somebody that is disabled is inherently evil and inherently unworthy of power. And, and so by trying to ascend to power, society sort of tamps down on something that shouldn't have happened in the first place and, and order is restored. And so that idea is pretty abhorrent today. And, um, and yet Greg has talked about uh, a lot of the perception around disability today as being this kind of faux inclusion and he kept on uh, when he had the idea for setting Richard the third in high school would send me these clips of um, like a high school football team very 
ostentatiously including a disabled kid for a touchdown or including a disabled kid on the wrestling team. And that, that if you're looking at the trope of you're disabled, therefore you're a devil versus you're disabled, therefore you're an angel, that there's very little latitude for a three-dimensional human being in there. And so that's kind of what the play is trying to do is to add some nuance to look at to look at the character of Richard as uh, more of a psychological portrait and sort of if he takes a dark turn, how much of it is personal responsibility and how much of it is kind of society placing him in a box. We spoke about that very thing with Jeffrey Wilson and whether, you know, Richard's dark nature is a result of his disability or a result of the society. Yeah, because there's, uh, this is somebody that's, that's been bullied and uh, who's sick of it and feels as though he's uh, at the bottom of the social order and why, and he's like the smartest person in the school. And, uh, and yet that doesn't seem to translate to any social cloud. And so you have this really ambitious kid who wants to become senior class president by any means necessary and feels like if he can attain that and knock the quarterback, who's also the junior class president running for the presidency down, that uh, somehow it'll be recompensed for all the bullying that's been heaped on him. And so there's a definite interplay between how he's perceived and how he thinks he's perceived and and him reacting to that as opposed to him doing things uh to himself. Is there murder in Teenage Dick? You know, so I tried to look at the play uh, from kind of a structural standpoint and, and, and think about like what would be fun high school equivalents to what happens in, uh, in the original text. And so Greg early on was like, there's all this murder in there, right? Like, uh, but what would like, uh, you know, what would, what would social murder be like? Or what would like uh, a social suicide look like? And so there's analogs so that he's third in line and instead of him sending his own brother to the tower to die that it's uh, uh more of a social death it i mean it it, it knows uh, the play knows kind of what genre it's in and the actors know what genre they're playing so it's it's trying to fall into kind of this storied history of uh, shakespeare works that have been translated to a high school uh setting um but then tries to see how far we can get with you know okay if there if if this is the bloody conclusion of richard the third kind of how how dark can we get and yet still feel like it's within a high school world? Does Shakespeare's language have a place in Teenage Dick? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that uh, for anybody who's familiar with the play that I wanted to include little uh, snippets of dialogue from the play that you'd get, but then I play pretty loose with it. So there's, uh, it's kind of, I'm stealing from all over, uh, all over Shakespeare's canon and um, using that as a way to emphasize Richard's intelligence that he speaks in this kind of high faux Shakespearean uh as a way to show off. But then uh, in some places, I also try to use uh, the same kinds of rhetorical constructions that Shakespeare did, like using the soliloquies to win over the audience and try to make them co-conspirators. And um, there's uh, like a soliloquy that uh, has the kind of same construction of uh, going down two rhetorical paths and choosing which one feels right and working that out in real time with the audience. I uh, was an English major in college and uh, like was was kind of forced to read a lot of Shakespeare. And so, uh, so for anybody who wonders whether that's a practical path and whether you'll use it in your professional career, the answer is yes. It, it's, uh, it's actually, in a way, giving me um, license to play with language in a way that I can't in other plays. Because if I'm writing contemporary naturalism, it's not like I get to drop into uh, iambic pentameter. Richard III is such a rich text and, you know, Teenage Dick is a fantastic play and, and filled with humor. In Richard III, he's charming and fun and the audience is co-conspirators, as you just said. 
until the play progresses to a point where the audience will turn on him. And it's when he, you know, I think it's when, pretty much when he kills the kids. And, by, and from that moment on, he's pretty much a sort of tragic villain. Does the same thing happen to Teenage Dick, or is he a more sympathetic character in the end? I think that you're right about the plot of Richard III, and I approached it similarly in that I wanted to... I noticed that in terms of the structure of the play that, uh, for the original, that there's a lot of soliloquies at the top, that there's a lot of uh, direct audience address, and then it's almost as if the play starts happening to him, and he's not really in control of the thing. So early, earlier acts, he says what he's going to do, then he does it in a scene, then he says, did you see how I did that? And then um, towards the end of the play, it's just like this war going on and he no longer has agency over kind of controlling events. And so that structure stays the same in Teenage Dick. But in terms of audience sympathies, I wanted to do a, a more psychological portrayal of Richard. And so I think that you're meant to hope that he will choose something different, but he can't help but choose what he does and that you would understand why he chose the path that he did. And I don't know where your sympathies will end up lying, but you are meant to root for him for longer in a way because you're dropped into his shoes. Well, I have to say that I think the title is brilliant. Yeah, totally. <laughs> That's really all Greg. And um, it, it's so funny because he had a couple of ideas for different plays that he ended up commissioning different writers for, but he the setup of it was was all him he's like i wanted i want you to write an adaptation of richard that takes place in high school called teenage dick and i like <laughs> i had to do it for the title and How i didn't no? uh, i didn't write anything for like a year and then i was like he's gonna take away this commission and give it to some other writer and then they're gonna have that title so i better get started <laughs> and, uh, yeah. uh, so that's really all greg's mike tell us about this current production at the pasadena playhouse uh when is it happening uh it's going to be streaming through february 27th and it's i've had the really lucky and rare opportunity to have a second production of this play so we did the world premiere a couple of years ago and then uh covid hit and then at I mean, we're still in it, but at the sort of tail end of the of, of uh, when you would dream of going into live theater, um, there were three productions in a row that were all a co-production. It started at Woolly Mammoth, then went to the Huntington, and now uh, Pasadena Playhouse. So, it's as a playwright, it's it's been an amazing opportunity to revisit a text and to try to keep it as contemporary as possible, to rethink things that that worked or didn't work in prior productions, to make it bespoke to the actors and. So this is the third leg of the kind of mini tour of it, and it'll be going on all through February. Uh, it's streaming through the 27th. So then, then uh, what, they, they shut off the tap? And yep. then it's... <laughs> <laughs> um, I th there's a separate Seattle rep production that um, is going to be like, uh, I think, mid-Feb into March. But yeah, they shut off the tap. <laughs> That's great. Uh, Mike Lou, I'm going to log on and I'm going to watch Teenage Dick and I hope one of my students chooses to work on it in the future um, because it's it's just a delightful tale. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. All right. Thank you so thanks much so for much. making the time yeah. to talk to us today. I'm Garrett Vandermeer. And I'm Jim Elliott. And thank you for listening to The State of Shakespeare. All right, Mike, that was great. We wanted to keep it super quick because it helps uh, our turnaround time. Cool. Please, uh,